0: The Schwangunk Journal, serving the towns of Warwasing, Crawford, Mammocating, Rochester, Schwangunk, and everything in between. SchwangunkJournal.com. And from listeners like you.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome to The Local Edition, news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Friday, Patricio Robayo. We have a packed show for you today, as always on every Friday. We actually are broadcasting live on Instagram, so if you want to see how the show is uh, being broadcasted, you can show us uh, online. I'm waving right now online. I'm wearing my uh, my soccer jersey, my Ecuadorian soccer jersey. It was a great game today, those who are watching the World Cup. Before we begin tonight's show, some programming notes. Join Jeff Loeffler tonight at 10 for a special Thanksgiving weekend celebration of the band's last waltz. And tomorrow morning, morning, tomorrow morning after skill, it's Farming Country with Rosie Star. Then at 1130 is Travels with Triggs with his host Sharon Levitt Nolan of Tennessee. But here on the local edition in the second half of the show, we checking in with Jason, Jason Dole. See what's happening on the music sale, which is happening tomorrow at 11 a.m. at the White Sulphur Springs Firehouse. There's only $5 to get in. Jason will give us a sneak preview on what's going on at this year's music sale. You can check out our Instagram and Facebook to see what's on sale. Everything there they see pictured is for sale. Also tonight, we'll be checking in with Karen DeWitt with her Albany report about the New York's Adult Survivors Act and cannabis licenses that we just issued. Also, we'll be replaying our interview with Clan Mother Shelly DePaul from the Lappy Nation of Pennsylvania. On Native American Heritage Today But it's Friday on the local edition Which means every other Friday We check in, check in with the one and only Philip Pontuso. Philip Pantuso is the managing editor For the Times Union He actually will be joining me tomorrow On the Reporters Roundtable I'm hosting the Reporters Roundtable On Radio Chatskill tomorrow And Philip Pontuso, along with Chris Riley Joseph Abraham and Liam Mayo From the River Reporter will be joining me So instead of having Philip live on the phone, I figured let's give you a preview of what you have in store for tomorrow. I talked to Philip about the recent election, the midterm election, the fallout of the midterm election. What does it mean for us locally? And what's going on with the New York 17 congressional district? This is what he had to say.
2: Yeah, we published a deep dive on that race um last week, about or about a week and a half ago as we're speaking. I think that's a interesting one to talk about and I know I s- I spoke about it with with Radio Catskill I think the following day, but we have a little bit more info now and and the reason I think it's interesting is because there are we sort of identified four factors in that race that determined the outcome. A couple of them are specific to the dynamics of that race, um, and then others are, I think, reflective of the red wave that you describe in uh, in the Hudson Valley, and I think also in Long Island as well. So um, those those kind of four factors that we talked about. One of them is the effectiveness of Republican messaging on issues such as crime and the economy. So if you look at the seats that re- where Republicans did well in New York, it's really in kind of area suburban. New York City, areas around New York City. So Long Island went totally red. In the in the Hudson Valley, uh, there were three congressional races. Those three seats were all held by Democrats. Two of them flipped to Republicans um, earlier this month, and then the one Democrat that did hold on, Pat Ryan beating Colin Schmidt, He he barely won. It was, I, I I think the final total was by less than less than two points. There was also, I think, just a lot more energy. Among Republicans this election cycle, I think Zeldin just brought out more more enthusiasm and, and more voters certainly than um, than Kathy Hochul seemed to. And I think that there was there was kind of a divergence in uh, the effectiveness of the state's respective parties in organizing. There has been there have been kind of loud calls in the weeks since the election for Jay Jacobs. The, uh, the chair of the state Democratic party to step down about a week ago. Uh, there was a a number of influential Democrats, including many, many state senators. And I think the Orange County Democratic party and the Dutchess County Democratic party signed on to this as well, signed a statement urging, uh, Governor Kathy Hochul to replace Jacobs as party chair, basically saying that he did, um, you know, a pretty poor job in, in organizing to get out the vote. Um, in this election. But with there are there are a couple of issues in NY17 that I think are specific to that race that are worth touching on just briefly. One that we identified is the Republican winner's familiarity in the district. So that's state assemblyman Mike Lawler. He has represented parts of Rockland County in the state assembly for only 2 years, but his family goes back generations in that district and his opponent, the incumbent U.S. Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney, he jumped districts uh, after redistricting earlier this year to run in NY-17 as opposed to NY-18, where he served for the last decade. And that drew a lot of criticism from progressive Democrats, because in doing that, he pushed out a, a, a popular uh, incumbent progressive legislator named Mondaire Jones. Maloney, I, th- I think the calculus, and he he's talked about this a little bit, for him running in seventeen as opposed to eighteen is that seventeen now includes most of I think actually all of Westchester County or certainly uh, more of Westchester County than um, it did previously, and he thought he could scoop in you know more democratic vote there, but Rockland County is also new to that district or new to Maloney, um, and he had never represented anybody in Rockland County before. And didn't seem to make as much of an effort on the ground there until the closing weeks of the campaign cycle when polls indicated a tightening race. Um, Lawler told us that he thought, uh, he thought Maloney didn't really take it seriously, uh, until, uh, a couple of weeks before election day, didn't really take his challenge seriously. And then we had a, a pollster from Marist College tell us that, um, Law, lawless familiarity within the district or and with the district more broadly and maloney's lack thereof was a the single most telling factor in the race and i think another interesting thing unique to this race was that the decision by maloney to run in 17 as opposed to 18 really as i as i hinted out earlier kind of enraged uh Progressive Democrats, especially those people who had been in the old 17th district, who had been represented by Mondare Jones. Listeners might remember that in uh over the summer, uh, Maloney faced the primary challenge by State Senator Alessandro Biaggi, who really criticized him hard for um for coming into that race and kind of bigfooting Mondaire Jones out. Maloney ended up winning that primary pretty handily, but um we had several Democrats on the ground tell us that. They would go out and vote for Maloney in the general election, but they really weren't enthusiastic about him at all. They, they didn't really feel motivated to, to kind of spread the word really and kind of get out the vote and and mobilize for him. One guy told us that, uh, the message was clear from democratic leadership at the state and county levels. Like it or not, this is our guy now. And so by contrast, Lawler, uh, I think was on the ground campaigning pretty hard, you know, for a year and a half and, um, I think was able to pull in more of the Republican vote that was there in the district. I think one thing that's worth noting too, is that this district, the voters in this district went for Biden by 10 points just two years ago. Um And then the, the, the fourth and final and probably ultimately maybe the most telling factor. And this is also related to, I think the familiarity within the district is that there are a lot of Orthodox voters in the 17th district. I talked to the co-founder of an organization called the Orthodox Jewish Public Affairs Council, which is based in Spring Valley. And he told me that he thinks about 21,000 Orthodox voters turned out for the midterms. And other than in the Hasidic village of New Square, which has about 2,800 voters and where leaders endorsed Maloney, Lawler got 80% of the Orthodox vote in a race, you know, he won by just. 2,000 votes or so that made a huge difference. And and he drew it, he drew a contrast with um, what happened uh, up in NY 18, where in Kiryas Joel, uh, Satmar Hasidic community there, Pat Ryan netted 1500 votes in a race. He won by just over 2000 votes. So that ended up being pretty telling um, in that race as well. So those are kind of the main, the main factors in NY 17. Some of them, I think, are are generalizable to to the entire race, but there's certainly some interesting stuff that happened in this particular campaign.
1: And you can hear the rest of Philip's interview, along with Chris Raleigh from the Shawano Journal, Joseph Abraham from the Soul Democrat, and Leah Mayo from the River Reporter tomorrow at ten o'clock. You can join me and them on Radio Chatsco. I'll be hosting. I'll be special host on on Saturday. What a special treat. We'll be discussing the fallout of the midterm elections, the recent news from the Cannabis Control Board, and why some of the licenses are not issued in Hudson Valley. Actually, Karen DeWitt will be actually filling some of that uh, that news for us. Actually, we'll be moving on to Karen DeWitt. New York's Adult Survivor Act took effect on Thanksgiving Day. Victims of alleged sexual abuse have a year to file a claim in court against their abusers. Karen Wit has more.
3: The Adult Survivors Act is modeled on the Child Victims Act, which was approved in 2019. It allows people who are over 18 years of age when they experience sexual abuse to have a one-year window of opportunity to file a claim against their alleged abuser in civil court. They can bring legal action even if the statute of limitations for the crime has expired. On May 24th, Governor Kathy Hochul, who replaced former Governor Andrew Cuomo after he resigned in a sexual harassment scandal, signed the measure into law. Finally, we are starting to right a wrong that has existed for far too long because when it came to sexual assault. Our laws were protecting the abusers more than not. Now, six months later, the lawsuits can begin. Since the first date to file falls on Thanksgiving, survivors will have to wait until Monday to actually initiate court action. Supporters are raising public awareness about the law, including an ad running in New York City's Times Square, where they held a news conference.
4: Look up there. Look at the faces up there.
3: Evelyn Yang, wife of former presidential candidate Andrew Yang, is among over 200 women who say they were abused by former Columbia University OBGYN Robert Haddon. Haddon, in 2016, pleaded guilty to abusing 19 women. Yang is one of 147 former patients who reached a $165 million settlement with the hospitals that employed Haddon, Columbia Medical Center, and New York Presbyterian. Yang says going to court and being heard can be empowering, and she says survivors now have that option. Civil
2: suits are a means of protest. It is one of the few ways that we have as survivors to demand accountability.
3: Over 750 former female inmates at state prisons are set to bring suit against the State Department of Corrections for abuses they say they suffered while they were incarcerated. But Michael Pollenberg with Safe Horizons, a survivors' rights group, says there's no way of knowing how many will file a claim. He says the number of lawsuits filed under the window of opportunity provided by the Child Victims Act was significant. That when was extended for an additional year because of the pandemic.
0: In the two years that the Look Back window was open in New York State, um about 10,000 cases were filed.
3: Unlike the instances of childhood sexual abuse, though, many of the incidents did not occur with a member of a large organization like the Catholic Church or the Boy Scouts. Polenberg says it is more difficult to bring cases when it does not involve an entity with significant assets. There
0: will be people who may struggle to find an attorney to be able to bring a case forward, Um, But we think it's really important, uh, nonetheless, to get this law passed to allow people every opportunity to try to find an attorney and to try to file a
4: lawsuit.
3: The law does not guarantee that anyone filing a civil case against an alleged abuser will win their lawsuit. They still need to provide evidence and convince a judge, but supporters say it can be powerful just to be heard. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt.
1: Thank you so much, Karen DeWitt, for that. And moving right along with Karen DeWitt, the first cannabis retail licenses in New York were awarded on Monday. And they're aimed at promoting social and economic equity. Karen DeWitt has more. And so 36
3: Have been approved at this point. The first round of licenses are aimed at promoting social and economic equity and go to applicants that have been convicted of a marijuana offense when the drug was outlawed and who live in a community that was disproportionately impacted by the prohibition, says OCM Executive Director Chris Alexander.
2: Equity is the cornerstone of New York's cannabis industry, and we will only accept applications that demonstrate this commitment.
3: The applicants must also have run a profitable business for at least two years and own assets like a vehicle or property and have a bank account. The licenses were chosen from over 900 applicants. They include 28 businesses and eight nonprofits. They qualified because they have a history of serving incarcerated or formerly incarcerated people. Among the nonprofits are Housing Works, begun in 1990 to fight AIDS and homelessness, and Life Camp, a Queens-based organization that helps reduce violent crimes and arrests. Founder Erica Ford is the first African-American woman head of a nonprofit to be awarded a cannabis retail license in New York. Board member Jen Metzger says no other state has done as much to try to right the wrongs of the Prohibition era.
0: This is a momentous day, a very exciting thing to be part of. And, um, you know, it shouldn't be lost on anyone that this is really the first of its kind anywhere.
3: Some of the shops could be open as early as the end of this year. OCM hopes to grant as many as 175 retail licenses under the program. A federal lawsuit has stalled the awarding of some of the licenses, though. A Michigan-based company sued, saying New York should not restrict the awards to applicants who were convicted of a marijuana-related offense in New York State. They argue that the requirement violates the Interstate Commerce Clause because people with marijuana convictions in other states are not included. As a result, OCM, for now, is not awarding any licenses in several regions of the state, including Western New York, Central New York, the Finger Lakes region, and the Mid-Hudson Valley, as well as Brooklyn, until the lawsuit is settled. The OCM Board also approved proposed regulations for the adult use of the drug, with the aim of keeping cannabis out of the hands of minors by prohibiting stores near schools or playgrounds. The regulations also strive to keep the industry independently owned and operated, with restrictions on owning multiple stores. The rules are modeled on the regulations for the state's liquor industry, and they separate cultivation, processing, and distribution from retail by not allowing any one person or entity to own businesses that both produce and sell the product. Alexander says there will also be transparency in the ownership of the new enterprises. Investors will need to be clearly identified to prevent any one group from trying to gain a monopoly on any aspect of the new industry.
5: If we're truly going to have a market that's decent, Centralized, that's democratic that's run by small and medium-sized enterprises we need to understand who it is that's coming in to try to dominate investments
3: the proposed regulations will be open for a 60-day public comment period before they're finalized in albany i'm karen dewitt
1: thank you so much karen dewitt for that just moving right along today is native american Heritage day a day to pay tribute to native americans to their history and contributions to the united states the other day, I was had a chance to speak to clan mother, Shelley DePaul, who is the language director of the Lenape, Pennsylvania, Lenape Nation of Pennsylvania, about what the day is all about and what it means to her. Here is what she had to say.
4: Well, it's always uh, a very good thing to recognize our indigenous peoples all through the country, uh, all through Turtle Island. Uh, for the Lenape Nation of Pennsylvania in particular, um, it's important because we like to raise awareness about the Lenape people who were not removed from Pennsylvania who remained here and those are the constituents of our tribe uh... so we all descend from uh... the Lenape who remained here to intermarried with Colonials uh... way early on before the removals and who managed to keep our culture alive uh... in secret um... there's a A long story about that, uh, which we don't need to go into now, Uh, but the University of Pennsylvania did do an exhibit on the Lenape Nation of Pennsylvania and what we call the hiding times and how we got through the 1800s. So raising awareness, uh, because most of the textbooks say that all the Lenape left and that kind of thing. So raising awareness about our culture, but also about the fact that we are still here.
1: From what I understand, the the Lenape Nation of Pennsylvania is seeking official recognition from the federal government and from the state. How is that process going, and what are some of the barriers you are facing from becoming an officially recognized tribe?
4: Um, well, we are not we are not seeking federal recognition. We are seeking oh. state recognition in oh, okay. Pennsylvania because no other uh, we are only the 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 only state on the Northeast that does not recognize its indigenous people. So this is uh, something that's. We've pursued for quite some time. Um, we do feel that we have recognition from the people. We uh, have instigated a treaty signing, and we have 128 organizations and 360 people that have signed on with us to take care of the land and the river and each other. And so we do have a wonderful following of people in Pennsylvania who work together. Um, but, uh, yes, we do have a committee. That does work on, uh, seeking, um, state recognition. Uh, some of the obstacles have been, um, you know, once you deal with the government, you know, they have specific, uh, guidelines, I guess they want you to follow. And so it's important that uh, they realize that this is recognition would be just for the indigenous people, the Lenape people, uh, of Pennsylvania. And, um, I know that the federally recognized tribes uh, don't recognize any of the indigenous people in the Northeast, uh, none of our Ramapo uh, state-recognized tribes.
1: If you want to hear the rest of that interview, you can check out our podcast. Check out WJFF, the local edition, anywhere you find your favorite podcast, and you hear this full interview that aired on Thursday. Check out our Thursday edition of the podcast, and you hear the interview there. Let's move right along to the music sale. The music sale is happening tomorrow. Are you excited? I am. I'm going to be there. Trying to find some cool instruments for my daughter. Maybe some cool vinyls there. Starts at 11 o'clock, and Jason was all day with the volunteers, checking out what's happening at the White Sulphur Springs Firehouse. That's where the music sale is happening at 11 o'clock. Admission is only $5. Here's Jason, though, with a report. And what's happening at the music sale.
6: Hi, all the friends and fans of WJFF. We're here at the Great Firehouse getting ready for the music sale. This is Leona Willis, and I have been happily sorting through the many wonderful donations that our listeners and generous donors have given us for the music sales. Could you just uh, tell us what it is that
5: you're doing right now?
6: Well, I, I, I walked in, and it looked like our wonderful um, assortment of CDs. They were partially sorted, and we had quite a few people here. And I'm just finishing up tidying up the last few CDs. We are sorting them by categories as best we can. We've got them all in boxes on the table. We're trying to turn all the titles so that when you come along, it'll be easy for you to go through.
5: Why do you do this? Why do you come out?
6: Because I love WJFF and I love the community. I love how, you know, this brings the community together. It's something happy and positive. So I just love to help out. I love to see the wide genre of music and how it brings everybody together. Great holiday time coming up. Got lots of opportunity for great gifts and great finds here. Very wonderful donations this year.
5: Good luck. I'll let you get back to it.
6: Okay. Everybody come shop.
5: If you've never been to the music sale before, I think I, this is where I'll try to give you an idea of what I'm actually looking at here. But I'm in the fire hall, the big uh, community hall at the White Sulphur Springs Firehouse. It's right off of Route 52 in White Sulphur Springs, New York. It's right between Liberty and Youngsville. So whichever direction you're coming from, it's in between those. But when you get here, <laughs> you will likely be amazed by how many people are here first, because if you come early, there's going to be a big line. But then once you get in... There are, there's table after table of box after box of records uh, and CDs. The vast majority of the material in here is vinyl records boxes of vinyl LPs. There's several tables worth of CDs, more than I remember there being in past years. I think there's more of everything than I've seen in past years. There's all sorts of used equipment here. There's tables in the back with uh, items that are going to get auctioned. And also there are tables in the back with some higher value LP records. And to get more into the details details of what we're looking at here let's let's talk to somebody who's been involved with this record sale from the beginning you want to introduce yourself hi um i'm john
0: bachman and uh yeah i've been working the sale since about 2001 i think
5: john i actually went out on a limb the other day made a new promo for the music sale where i said i think this might be the biggest sale we've ever had am i overstating it no
0: i would concur i think on the high valve department of records um We've got twice as many records as we normally would have. The regular records are probably about the same, which is a lot. I think there's about 10 tables of records here full of boxes, chock-full of records. And then the equipment is is just towering with with stuff. So yeah, I'd say I'd say it's more than I've ever
5: seen here. I mean, that's like component stereo equipment for the most part. There's speakers, stereos, receivers, uh, yeah, we've got great prices on everything. We've got a couple
0: of hand crank old phonographs, all the way up into the at- home theater systems, and everything in between. And uh, yeah, we try to. you know We only have a few hours to try to sell as much as we can, so we keep the prices low, and we like to make people happy.
5: Hand cranked record player. Do those go at seventy eight rpm? Yes.
0: You know, Jason, I don't know. Would it be possible that we could crank one up and play one? And well, I was just going to ask you that. Um, well, I'll go. I'll go, go grab go. a record. All right.
1: A few
2: moments later,
5: I know you're, you're a, a, a bit of an expert on 78s. What's your criteria for picking out a p- chest record?
0: I was trying to find something that was from the same era. These record players are from about 1939, and so I thought, well, we'll find something from probably the 30s. So this is McKee's Orchestra with La Cinquantaine.
5: Yeah, it's actually a pretty good recording. Yeah,
0: this is great, and uh, I, this is the uh, the way people used to listen to records, and this is, these are kind of portable suitcase things that you could take with you on a picnic. Um, I kind of imagine one day wanting to get one of these and take it on a boat, floating down the Delaware River, playing records. It's sort of my dream.
5: Okay, well, if you want to see this thing for yourself, you got to come out uh, in person to the music sale. So that's great stuff. And then the other area that we haven't talked about yet is this table here,
0: right? So uh, every year we do a silent auction. Of some things are are just of higher value. Uh, some things are just interesting and fun, and uh, so we we uh, have those things all. Out for silent auction. We'll wrap up the auction around 1 o'clock during the sale tomorrow. And uh, people can bid whatever they like. And sometimes they get some real bargains, and sometimes we get a nice bidding war and raise a little extra money for the uh, radio station. So that's always the hope, is that people will bid it up uh, for the station.
5: Any notable items that you want to mention to folks? Uh, yeah, you know,
0: there's a really nice pioneer stereo system from kind of the golden age of the japanese hi-fi systems of the 1970s Uh, it's complete with a tuner and amplifier and uh, a really nice turntable there's this gorgeous a red sparkly accordion italian made that's that's in good working condition there's a martin guitar here there's a musical saw and uh, a sitar uh, which is pretty unusual. I don't think we've ever had a sitar donated to the sale before. I think it'll be mostly for decorative purposes. I'm um, kind of deciding, I'm going to concoct this hoax that Ravi Shankar left this sitar behind after, <laughs> after Woodstock, and it's just been kicking around in someone's attic uh, for the last
5: 50 years. Okay, that story's not true at all, but you heard it here first.
0: And then there's also uh, there's a, some rare bootleg record uh, Led Zeppelin bootleg that's super hard to find and uh, pretty valuable. Uh, that's going up in the auction, and just some other
5: fun fun stuff. All right, well I'll let you get back to it, John. Anything else that we didn't say you want to let folks know? Uh,
0: just I just want to thank the volunteers. We're, um, as as uh, you said earlier when you were speaking to Leona, there was, we had a great crew of volunteers in early hauling uh, heavy boxes of records and. Uh, and the, we have a dedicated group of volunteers to make this happen, and and I really appreciate their hard work because it takes a ton of work to do this, and uh, it's it's looking great. We're in good shape, and it's going to be a great sale tomorrow. All right. Well, and
5: thank you for all the work you do. Thanks so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Jason. Music sale, and then I'll
1: I'll play the music sale song. Of course, we talked for a long. Oh, the music sale is happening tomorrow. This is your show, WJFF Radio Catskill, W238H, Monticello. Thank you for joining us on the local edition. And if enough people come to the music sale that's happening tomorrow at 11, I would like Jason Dole to sing this song for you live. The music sale is happening tomorrow at 11 a.m. at the White Sulphur Springs Firehouse. And here is the Jason Dole music sale to end your show. Thank you so much for joining us on, on Friday. Coming up is the mixtape. Oh, I love it! I love this song. It's on my playlist on Apple Music. It should be on Apple Music. It's not on Apple Music though. Think of Jason.
5: Stacks of vinyl. So Stacks of vinyl. vinyl. That's what you find at the, the music got sale. And CDs. Oh, it's
1: beautiful. In the corner, think I saw. Move over, some Frank wax Sinatra. Jason dolls here. See everyone next week at the music. I'll well, see you tomorrow at the music sale. To sale. To Goodbye. Table